Well, let me say really quickly, too, happy Thanksgiving to everyone here. Before we even jump into Advent, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, trust that this past week uh, with family, with friends, with whoever you were with, uh, was, a, was a good time uh, for you all to just sit back and to rest and just to give thanks uh, for all that God has done. And all he continues to do is he is a good God to all of us. And so happy Thanksgiving to you all. Let me also really quickly uh, mention as well, we, we hosted a, a Thanksgiving basketball tournament here uh, at Calvary the past couple of days. And I want to say congrats to our varsity boys uh, basketball team who, who took home first place uh, yesterday. Uh, and also, yeah, yeah, thank you. Congrats, guys. That was great. Um, and also give it up for the varsity girls basketball team who took home second place yesterday. That was great, man. We dominated. That's great. Love it. So glad you guys got to play. I want to say just, uh, man, just congrats to you all that participated in that. Well, again, happy Thanksgiving and welcome. Here we go. First season, uh, first week, week one of Advent. I absolutely love this time of year. Love this time of year. I have my whole life. Uh, ever since I was a, a, a little kid, my, uh, my whole year, as this does, I think, for most kids, kind of revolves around Christmas. It was the big thing to look forward to every year. And uh, in, in my mind, the earlier we could get into the Christmas season, the better uh, in my mind. Now, we've entered into this season again, once again, where a strong debate rages, where, where tensions are flaring up at a moment's notice, where sides are drawn, where friends become enemies and enemies become friends, and opinions reign supreme, and, and people seemingly lose their minds in this passionate pursuit to stand their ground, declare that they're right. And I'm not talking about politics. Um, I'm not talking about the latest events that have taken place in, in, in our world today. I'm talking about how early is it to, uh, to, to play Christmas music? Um, how early is too early to put up Christmas decorations, right? That's the, that's the debate that's raging this time uh, of year. Should we wait till Thanksgiving is over? Uh, or we can, start, can we start before Thanksgiving? Does Thanksgiving need its own time to breathe and just be its own thing? Or, or, or can Christmas be kind of wrapped up in it? Uh, last Sunday, we were, as, we were, as we were closing the service and, and as we were sending you, uh, and Nathaniel was up here and he was talking about the different Advent devotionals and all the things we're doing to prep for the Advent season here as a church. And I remember standing there wondering how many people are out there right now thinking like, stop talking about Christmas, right? Like, we haven't even celebrated Thanksgiving yet. Like, let us have Thanksgiving before you start with the Christmas talk. Now, now, cards on the table, uh, just so you know where I am, um, I'm in the earlier, the better camp. Uh, so honestly, um, if I'll be uh, truthful up here, as soon as summer's over, right? As soon as summer's over. Like, you know, like fall when the temperature just begins to drop a little bit? Like, I start gearing up. I'm like, here we go right? Change of season. Like now I'm not putting Christmas trees up in our house like September 1st or anything like that, but my mind, like my heart, like starts to, it starts to shift. I'm like, all right, here we go, right? Christmas season. I just love this time of year. And I know some of you guys out here that are in the let Thanksgiving be its thing camp are like, man, I can't even like look at you right now. But I think there's a reason why why, why most people, I think, want to start into the Christmas season earlier and earlier. Why it seems to be, uh, in our culture, even get pushed up earlier and earlier. And I don't, I don't think the only reason is because of marketing and commercialization. Now, a lot of it is to be sure of that. But, but I do think people really just love the anticipation and, and the longing that this season just brings uh, and it's a strange thing, really. Like, so growing up, it's like you long and yearn for Christmas Day to come. Like, you want Christmas, December 25th, to get here. But, but it's almost like the older you get, you want it to come, but you also want the days leading up to it to slow down. 
right? Because it's like we want to we wanna get to Christmas, but we want to savor the, the, the season and the moments getting up to it. And every year just seems like it comes quicker and quicker and quicker. But we want to like absorb it. But yet at the same time, we want to get here. It's a strange thing. And, and you know that, that the day after Christmas, it's in, in my, my book growing up, I hated December 26th. Because all that meant in my mind is like we're like the farthest away from the next year's Christmas, right? And so I hated that, that day because we want that day to come. We long for it. We yearn for it. But then it comes. Then it's over. And then the wait for next Christmas season begins. So I think that's one of the reasons why we push it earlier and earlier. We want to get into that frame of mind. Well, we've entered officially here today into the season of Advent. It's a, it's a season within the rhythm and the life of the church of waiting and in anticipation for the arrival, for the coming of Jesus. Because that's what the word Advent means. It means arrival. It means coming. It's a season where we do really two things. We look back to the first Advent of Christ. We look back to the birth of Jesus into this world. And secondly, we're also, this is a season where we wait patiently, but also at the same time eagerly for the second Advent of Jesus when he returns and finally establishes his reign and his rule, his kingdom over all creation. From the moment that sin entered this world, all of creation has been subjected to the curse of sin. Everything was, was broken in that, that moment that sin entered into God's good world. Everything was fractured. And from that moment on, all of creation has been longing for this, this final coming, this final arrival of Jesus into the world to, to redeem all of creation, to set it free from the curse of sin, longing for it to be healed, longing for us to be restored. The Apostle Paul says it as much in Romans 8. He says, for we know that, that the whole creation has been groaning together with the, the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. See, hear what Scripture is saying there. He's saying that within creation itself and even within ourselves as created beings, there's this longing and aching, a groaning within all creation, a groaning within, within ourselves for the, the consummation of our redemption, right? To, to plead with Jesus, to finish what he has begun, to plead with Jesus, come back and once and for all would you eradicate the curse of sin from God's world. Restore it back to how it was meant to be, right? A world that's free of death and of sickness and free from disease. A world that's free from hostility and from pain. A world of peace and harmony and joy that is unending. So it's the world we long for. And Paul says we're aching for that day to come. A world where we walk finally once and for all and for all eternity in close intimate relationship with our God. That's life as it was meant to be. Life as it was designed to be. This is what as believers, as followers of, of Christ, that's what we hope for. It's what we long for. That's what we ache for and yearn for. And in the first and second advents of Jesus, say that when you think about them, they go hand in, in hand. See, we needed the, the first advent. We needed the, the birth of Jesus. We needed, needed his sinless life because we needed the power of sin, the power of death to be crushed, to be defeated. And that's exactly what Jesus accomplished 
in his first advent, his first coming to this world. That's what he accomplished through his sinless life and his death and his resurrection. And without the first advent, we could not have what we hope for with the second advent, what it will bring, a complete renewal of all creation. We needed first sin and death to be defeated so that then the kingdom of God could be established and our full redemption, right? As our full adoption as sons and daughters to be realized, to be finalized. And so what we're going to do over the next four weeks as we, as we enter into this season together is to, is to look back at the birth of Jesus, which has provided the way for salvation and, and, and for reconciliation with our God, with our creator, And at the same time, what we're going to do over the next four weeks is we're going to look forward with eager anticipation to Jesus' second coming, his second advent, which which is going to bring about it the renewal of all things, a new heaven, a new earth, a new creation. So so we begin this Advent season first by talking about hope, talking about hope. I mentioned when sin entered into this world and it fractured everything. We see that taking place in Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, God's good and perfect world was was fractured. Everything was broken in that moment. Creation, since that moment, has been longing then and waiting for someone to come and fix it, waiting for the Redeemer. And and the reason that that, the creation knew a Redeemer was coming was because God said as much in Genesis 3. And so the, so the, the whole timeline from Genesis 3 up to the birth of Christ, like the, the world was waiting for who's this Messiah, who's this Redeemer, who's going to be the one who comes and makes things right again. And so if you're, if you're familiar with the story of creation and the, the introduction of sin into the world, you know then that in Genesis 1 and 2, God creates, and, and, and this common phrase is used over and over throughout those two chapters. He, he looks at what he creates, and he says it was good. Right, that like there's this there's this peace in creation. All things were good, meaning that that in creation there was harmony between God and what He had created. That there was harmony between us and one another. There was no secrets, no lies, no conflict. There was harmony, complete and perfect harmony between us and our Creator. Right? You see Adam and Eve walking with God in, in the garden, Genesis 1 and 2, and even in the early parts of, of, of chapter 3, right? You see them in this relationship with, with God. But in chapter 3, we see the, the introduction of sin into the world. We see that man chooses sin over God. Man chooses himself over, over a good God. He chooses to be God himself rather than to trust and depend in a, in a good God. He chooses himself over glad and joyful submission to God. And with that action, with that, with what, that, what that, that Adam and Eve did, with that action and choice of sin that was first seen, that it brought this horrific devastation to God's good order of creation. All of a sudden, everything that was in perfect harmony, now there was chaos. No longer is there harmony between us and God. No longer is there harmony between us and one another or between us and the rest even of, of, of creation. That relationship in that moment when we rejected God, when we rebelled against God, when mankind committed treason against a holy God, that word that we use fractured, it took place, right? Everything was broken. And from that moment on, there was this need for redemption, this need for it to be fixed and restored. And so in the midst of, of creation unraveling, in the midst of all these relationships breaking down, in the midst of all this chaos, God makes this, this promise in the middle of it, of this Messiah, a Redeemer, a Savior's coming, right? Like, th- like death is not going to have the final word over my creation, God is saying. 
He's saying there's going to be someone who's going to come who's going to defeat now death, who's going to come and defeat sin, who's going to once again bring, bring order to God's world, restore relationships with us and our creator. See, God says in Genesis 3.15, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And here's the promise. It says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. With that final statement, God spoke of this future redeemer, a future redeemer who would come and bruise the head or crush the head of Satan. And with it, he would bruise the head or crush the head of sin and death. Yet, yet we see also in this promise in Genesis 3 that this crushing, this bruising would take place through suffering itself. Genesis 3 says that, that this Messiah who is to come, who's promised to come, that his heel would be bruised. In that moment, God was pointing to the cross that Jesus is accomplishing this redemption, this crushing, this bruising of the head of Satan, sin, death. He's going to accomplish this through, through himself being, being killed, through his suffering himself. Yet his resurrection over death is what finally crushed the head of Satan. And so all the way back in Genesis 3, we see that there is hope for humanity. All is not lost. Even when chaos seems to be reigning, hope is not lost. But the question that began from that moment in Genesis 3 was, when would this Messiah come? That was the question. When would he come? Who is he? The, and, and the rest of Scripture then begins to tell the story of God working through his people. And God's people asking and wondering, who's this Messiah? Is this Messiah? Nope, this isn't him. When will he come? And they were living with this constant state of hope and a future redemption, a future Messiah who would come and make things right. And so this, this story of Simeon in Luke 2 is, a, is really a picture of how God's people were living with, with hope. They were living with hope. I, I love this little story in Luke 2 that's just tucked away quietly. It's a story really of great significance because it's, it's showing us the beauty of what it means to hope in God. And, and why hoping in God is so much more significant and so much more impactful and more certain than any other type of hope in this world. See, what we want to see today through God's word and throughout this season of Advent is, is that the hope that we have in God is a, is a confident hope in a certain reality. That, that because Christ has come, because Jesus has defeated the enemy of sin and death through his death and through his resurrection, we can now rest in confidence that he will, he will return again to establish his eternal reign and rule. That there's certainty that there is coming a day when all that is broken in the world, all that is fractured in the world and within ourselves will end. You know, I, I began by, by saying happy Thanksgiving and my hope and trust was that this past week with family and friends was a, was a, a restful and refreshing week. But, but you might be sitting here and be like, it wasn't. It just wasn't. Family drama, conflict, right? Like we're con continually living in the reminder of the fact that this, this world is broken, that we long for a day when it won't be. And so as Christians, we look for that day, that day when, when everything that is broken will come undone, will end. But while we wait, while we wait, we wait with hope. We wait with patience. And we wait with faith and an expectation in a God who's faithful, who is good, who is lovely, who's beautiful. 
We can, we can learn here from Luke 2, from Simeon, even what it looks like to hope in God and why hope in God is so much different than any other type of hope that we can experience. So as we jump in here today, let me ask this question for you just to think through and ponder. What is hope? What is it to hope? It's, it's a word that's used often. Politicians love to use that, that word, hope, right? Because it has a sense of, 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 of yearning and longing for something better. But, but what does it mean to have hope? There, there's really two ways that we can define hope in our world today. W- one is to define it through the lenses of the world, and, and the other is to define it through the lenses of Scripture. And, and so here's what I mean by that. We want to have a, a biblical hope, not a worldly hope. Because a worldly hope, the best way that I can define it is, is like this. Worldly hope is wishful thinking in an unsettled uncertainty. All right, I'll say it again. Wishful thinking. Worldly hope is wishful thinking in an unsettled uncertainty. That's really all worldly hope is. It's wishful thinking for uncertain outcomes. I have all kinds of hopes for myself and my family. I hope that we all remain healthy. I hope my children will work hard in school and, and, and graduate and get good jobs and be productive members of society. I, I hope to be able to pastor here for many years to come. But, but we have all sorts of other hopes. Like, I, I hope this winter isn't too frigidly cold, right? Like, I hope it isn't. Like, I'm okay with snow up till Christmas. And is anybody with me? Like, December 26th, you're like, when's spring coming, right? Like, I just hope it's not too cold. I hope my car doesn't break down. Hope I can get through this week without, without too much difficulty. But as we see, worldly hope is wishful thinking and an unsettled uncertainty. Like we hope for all kinds of things, right? R- Ralphie in a Christmas story hoped he would get to open the most treasured gifts on Christmas morning, right? That official Red Rider carbine action 200 shot range model air rifle. We can have lots of hopes and our kids are hoping for the gifts that they maybe get to open on Christmas Day. <coughs> We can have lots of different hopes that have uncertain outcomes, right? You can hope that this sermon isn't going to be too long. But the outcome of that is wishful thinking, right? You don't know. We have all kinds of hopes like this in our lives, don't we? But all of these are based in uncertainty. We, we, I can do my part, but I can't guarantee that, that everyone in my family is going to remain healthy. Case in point, my wife is home with a kidney stone today, right? Like, uh, nothing we can do, Right? I, I can't control the weather as much as I don't want to be cold. I don't, I don't know. I don't like it to rain on Sundays, right? It's a joke around our staff is anytime we have outdoor events, we know it's going to be a rainy day, right? Like we can't control that. Like if my car wants to break down, it's going to break down. We can't control those things. We can attempt to control our environments as best we can. But let's be honest, control is really an illusion. What do you really have control over in your life? I say it like this all the time. Our lives can be turned upside down with a phone call, right? Like control is out of our control. That's why worldly hope is nothing better than wishful thinking in an unsettled uncertainty. It it can make you feel good for a bit, but it doesn't really ever remove anxiety or worry because the end result isn't assured. It's not certain. A good outcome is still, for lack of a better phrase, still maybe a roll of the dice, Maybe it'll all work out. Maybe it won't. Now, we trust a sovereign God, so, so hear what I'm saying. But, but worldly hope is just like, maybe it'll be good. Maybe it won't. That's the best worldly hope can offer you. Maybe, maybe it'll work for you. We can wish people a Merry Christmas, 
but it doesn't mean they're going to have one. That's wishful thinking. But biblical hope is different. Biblical hope can be defined as this, a spirit-empowered, confident expectation in a future deliverance. That's biblical hope. Meaning what God says and promises will come to be. Right? A confident expectation. We see this, this, this truth, this definition of biblical hope all throughout this text. We see this truth revealed and verified in the very birth of Jesus himself. See, look at verses 25 and 26 of, of our text today. It says, there was a man in Jerusalem. His name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, right? There's that hope. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So the first thing to note is that biblical hope is spirit-empowered. Biblical hope is spirit-empowered. What do you see right away in these first few verses of Simeon? And even into the next verse, into verse 27. It says that the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. In verse 26, it says that the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he would not die before his eyes physically saw the Lord's Christ, meaning that the, that the promised Messiah that was foretold all the way back in Genesis 3, he was, the Spirit impressed upon Simeon, you're not going to see death until you see the Messiah with your own two eyes. In verse 27, it says that the Spirit leads Simeon into the temple on the same day that Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to be circumcised according to the custom of the law of that day. So the text clearly shows that, that, that the faith and hope Simeon had, the hope that he was walking in was gifted to him through the Holy Spirit. This is not a text about the awesomeness of Simeon. It's a text that reveals the power of God and his working in our lives. And praise God for that. See, to believe the big things that God has promised, to hope in God is something that's too large, too extravagant for us to behold all ourselves. And in our own strength, we're, we're too weak to behold it. We're, we're too weak and too feeble and too doubting to, to really conjure up the faith that's going to take to hold on to and hold fast to the promises that God has given us. We, we need to ask and, and pray and, and live in such a way just like the, a father did in Mark 9 when, when this father brought his son before Jesus because his son was being tormented by an evil spirit. This desperate father brings his son to, to Jesus and, and says to Jesus, listen, if you can do anything, please help us. To which Jesus says, all things are possible for the one who believes, for the one who hopes. Right? So this, this desperate father brings his son to Jesus. He has faith. He has hope. He's heard what Jesus can do. He's maybe even seen some of the things that Jesus has done. So he comes in faith. He comes in hope. And Jesus says, listen, all things are possible for the one who believes. And this father looks at Jesus and in faith says, I do believe, but help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. He's saying these things that you do, Jesus, these things that you promise, they're too grand they're too big for my simple heart and mind to behold. I need you. I need your help to sustain me. I need you to, to grant me the faith to believe and to hope. Help my unbelief. I believe. I brought him here, but I even know my own heart. I know that I doubt in so many ways. Help my unbelief. See, to hope in God is Holy Spirit empowered. 
The hope that Simeon had, not only in the future promise of a redeemer to come, but, but also believing that he would not see death until he saw this promised Messiah was a hope that could only be built up through the spirit of God that was upon him, like the text says, and empowering him to believe. Especially now that Simeon most likely was nearing the end of his life, yet he still hoped in God. Now here's our comfort the same spirit that empowered Simeon to believe and to live in such a way that that scripture would even define him as righteous and devout is the same spirit who works in God's people today. He's no different. What what has God promised us now that, that Jesus has come? Eternal life. A promise from Romans 8 that, that all things work together for good to those who love God. A promise from Matthew 28 that Jesus says, I'm with you to the end of the age. So go make disciples of all nations. Right? A promise to, to comfort us as we walk through trial and suffering in his name. A promise from Acts 1 that as Jesus is ascending, a promise uh, that, that says, no, he's coming again. These, these things and so many more that we see throughout Scripture of these promises and things that God has said will come true, they're, they're too big for us to behold and, and take in all on our own and our own strength. We need a big God to help us believe these big truths and big promises. And so daily, we need to be walking in the Spirit, as Galatians 5 tells us, meaning that we're, we're absorbing God's word, that we're abiding in Christ, that, that we're living uh, our, our lives seeking to slay sin with vigilance and with fervor, that we're continually praying and asking God to sustain us. Is there, there's a reason why Paul says in his letters, like, like pray without ceasing, right? It's this idea that I can't, I can't do anything without you, right? We, we're continually praying, asking God, sustain me, empower me to believe and hope in you through the highs and through the lows. When things are going great, like God, remind me not to take my eyes off of you, that I still need you. When things are difficult and at their worst, remind me that my hope's in you, right? We need him every single moment of our, of our life. Our lives are to be lived in this constant dependence upon him, that we need to have this mindset through the Holy Spirit that I can't get through the day, through the hour, through the minute, through the second without you. That there's not one second where I can do this on my own. That's the mindset we need. I need you, God. Help me, sustain me, walk with me, guide me. My hope is in you. This is what we ask God to do in our lives and our hearts. This biblical hope is spirit-empowered. But secondly, we see that biblical hope is a confident expectation. Confident expectation. In verse 26, the Spirit revealed to Simeon that that, that Simeon would not see death until he saw the promised Messiah. This is where biblical hope differs from any hope that the world offers us. Whereas worldly hope is, is, like we said, mere wishful thinking and something that's uncertain, biblical hope is a confident expectation that what God promises will happen. So, so now it takes faith to believe, but, but if God promises something, it will happen. And so you see Simeon's response to, to holding the baby Jesus at eight days old in his arms in verses 29 and 30. Simeon says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. And, and just that, that, that verse there, can you, can you hear the sigh of relief in Simeon's voice. He's saying, now, now I can pass on. Now I can rest in peace because your word is true. It's true. 
I mean, you can, you can almost even feel in his, in his words like this, this battle that he had been having, even maybe between the flesh and the spirit, right? He believed God's word. He believed the promise. He was, he was seen here as righteous and devout, but it didn't mean that, that the waiting as he was nearing the end of his life wasn't easy for him. Most likely, Simeon entered that temple day after day after day for who knows how long. Could have been years. Each day with this eager expectation, this hope that he would finally see the Messiah. But then he would return home day after day, disappointed, not today. And yet he remained faithful, remained trusting in God's promises because he knew God's promises come true. And so one day he comes into the temple, abiding in the spirit, being led by the spirit of God. And he recognized Messiah at eight days old. That's how Jesus was in this moment, eight days old. It's just remarkable. And, and even in that moment that, that Simeon sees Jesus as a baby and says, that's him. It's remarkable in the, in the evidence of the power of God to draw men's hearts to the son. Like Simeon would have seen over, over the years, lots of children entering the temple. But the spirit of God so was upon him and drew his heart to Jesus. And he saw Jesus and he says, that's my savior. That's him. This is the long-awaited Messiah. I mean, here again, you can hear it, just a relief in Simeon's voice. The, the Jewish people had been waiting for thousands of years for this Messiah to come from Genesis, Genesis 3 on. And now Simeon is holding him in his own arms and seeing him with his own two eyes. Yes, the promise was given thousands of years prior, but God always delivers, right? This is the, the confident expectation we have as we hope in God. It's been, it's been 2,000 years now since the first arrival of Jesus. And what was the promise that was given in Acts 1? Just as he's, you see him ascending, he's going to descend. He's going to come again. That was a promise made to the church. He's coming again. We've been waiting 2,000 years for a second return. But we do not lose heart. Though the world fades, though nations rage, though foundations crumble, if Jesus says, I'm coming again, he's coming again. Listen to the words of our Savior. We actually sang the, of this, this passage today in that song, Take Heart. Jesus says in John 14, 1 through 3, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. He is coming again, church, to take to himself those who belong to him. And we know this to be true. And we are confident in this promise and in this hope because Jesus has already come 2,000 years ago. Right? Lastly, we see from our text here that biblical hope believes in a future deliverance. Simeon's song that, that he burst into under the influence of the, of the Holy Spirit is found in verses 29 through 32. I already read uh, 29 earlier, but, but listen to the entirety of, 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 of Simeon's worship here. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. The confident expectation that, that Simeon had was of God's future deliverance. That's what they're waiting for. 
a salvation of, of people. And Simeon got it. He understood it. He understood it and got it because the Holy Spirit was upon him and drawing him to the truth of what God's word had said from, 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 from Genesis 3 onward. This salvation that is coming, a kingdom that is different, a, a, a salvation that is for all people of every tribe, every language, every nation. You see that in Simeon's song. My eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples. He's looking at Jesus, holding him in his arms. He's saying, this is a light to the Gentiles, and he is the glory to the people of Israel. Right? Jesus is the gift of God for all people. He's lovely. He is beautiful. He is good. But Jesus, as we've seen as we've been journeying through the gospel of Mark, we've seen that Jesus so demands our life. He demands our entire life to be lived in this glad submission to his lordship, to his authority, which means with Jesus, there is no middle ground. There's no middle ground. You either accept him and submit to him and follow him as Lord, or you reject him. There's no middle ground there. And that's what Simeon says in in the remaining verses as he looks now to, to Mary and Joseph, and he speaks to them. He says in verse 33, says, and his, his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him, about their son, Jesus. And it says that Simeon blessed them and then looked at Mary and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and, and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. See, like I said, with Jesus, there is no neutrality. And that's what Simeon is saying here as he looks at Mary. Like Jesus is, is pointing for, for the rising and the fall of, of many. There's no neutrality. You will either love Jesus and submit to him as Lord, or, or you will reject him. You are either for him or you are against him. You will either be built up by Christ and have your life edified and, and, and find joy everlasting because of Christ and abiding in him, or you will stumble over him or you will trip over him. He's either the rising or the fall of your life, and there is no middle ground. Simeon, Simeon said that, that he's a sign that, that's going to be opposed pointing to, as we've seen even through the gospel of Mark, that many religious leaders opposed Jesus, even as they saw the clarity of who he is and and the clarity that that the word of God revealed and showed that this this is the Messiah, but yet he was so opposed. See, the word sign means, means miracle or clear evidence of God's word, something that's so obvious that it can't be missed. That's what, that's what Simeon was saying. He's, he's gonna be so obvious. He can't be missed, but yet he will be opposed the birth of Jesus into this world can't be missed. It, it, was, it was a clear sign to his identity as God in the flesh, come to redeem sinful humanity. <clears throat> Jesus was a sign that would be opposed because of what, what he demands, though. Like we said, our, our lives, every bit of it. And, and, and in our flesh and in our sin, we don't want to give him that. That's what we saw in Genesis 3. I want to be God. I want to control my own life, my own destiny, my own future. And Jesus says, no, you need to die to yourself and come follow me. And, and we don't want to do that. And that's why he's opposed. Simeon lastly prophesies, though, he prophesies the death of Jesus. And that he looks at Mary and he says that there's coming a day when a sword, Mary, will pierce through your own soul. See, as Mary, many years later, watched her son be crucified on a cross, though she didn't feel the, the nails through her own hands Though she didn't feel the, the, the spear going through the side of her son, she no doubt when she was watching this unfold, felt the pain in her own heart and soul. 
And yet this is why Jesus came. He was born to die so that man's hearts, as Simeon even says here, may be laid bare and open before him, that we're exposed for who we are before a holy God. And we see our need for redemption and faith in him so that our neediness and our desperate state would be revealed and that through Christ and because of Christ, we would turn to him for deliverance. See, there's a simple closing today as we, as we wrap this, this time up. But what are you hoping in? Right? What are you hoping in? What or who is Lord of your life? Something or someone reigns over you. Right? Again, there, there's no neutrality in this room. Right? You, are, you are being led and governed by something or someone. And so who is Lord of your life? What are you hoping in for your future deliverance? Only Jesus is the one who gave his life for you. He proved and showed his love by giving his own life for your life. See, to submit to Christ, yes, absolutely means to lose your life, meaning that, that I'm not following what I want, what I desire. I'm, I'm, I'm dying to myself, yes, but it means that we gain that which our minds can't even comprehend. Joy unspeakable, hope unimaginable, deliverance that's eternal, salvation forever. And so what are you hoping in? If you're here today and, and you have not yet turned to Christ, then, then this is the day to, to say, I'm repenting, I'm turning from what I'm hoping in. Uh, this wishful thinking that I hope maybe will produce a, a, a certain outcome, but it, it, it's out of my control. To turn from that, to repent and say, I'm turning in faith to Christ, to Jesus, with a hope that I can have that's confident in something that's certain, where joy is unimaginable, right? My salvation is wrapped up, and we can long and yearn for a day where he will return and remove all that is broken in the world today. Today is the day to turn to Christ and to look to him. So church, let's turn our eyes, our minds, this Advent season, our hearts to Jesus, and let's look to him with hope. Let's pray. God, we come to you and are so grateful for your, your mercy, your grace, your love for us. God, this Advent season, this Christmas season sh should so clearly remind us of how loved we are. That though we were rebels, though we rejected you, though um, apart from you, we want to do our own thing and live our own lives and be gods of our own universes, yet through all of that, and even in all of that, and even when, as Scripture says, no one was seeking after you, you came and sought after us. And, and so what a beautiful picture this is, this, this Christmas season, to look to Jesus who has come, <clears throat> this future Messiah, future Redeemer. God, so may our hope be in him today. May we long for him, yearn for him, hope in him. <clears throat>